Hello adults, welcome back to I Guess We're Grownups Now. I'm your host, Carrie Halstead. Today's conversation is with my friend Megan, and it's about advanced parenting, the skills required for handling life when your kid is one of the ones you swore you wouldn't have back before you had kids. All the links for the stuff we talk about are in the show notes at goodstuff.fm slash grownups slash 14. Before we dive into that, I want to tell you about something cool happening. Kyle Roderick and Tim Smith are hosting a meetup in LA for goodstuff.fm. If you're a listener or a fan of goodstuff.fm, you're invited to come and grab a coffee, mingle, and discuss all things podcasting. The meetup will be held on Tuesday, February 17th, 2015 at 7.30 p.m. at Drip Coffee Bar in Chino Hills. Check out the link in the show notes to RSVP. Kyle and Tim hope to see you there. All right, now here's my conversation with Megan. Hello and welcome to the show. This is Carrie Halstead and joining me today is Megan Cheeseboro. Hi, Megan. Hi, Carrie. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, I'm really excited because we have just met for the first time, really. I mean, we've been following each other on Twitter for a while, but we recently met and became friends. Mm-hmm. And... I know that one thing that we have in common is that we're parents. Um, and I realize not all of the listeners to this podcast are parents, but I think enough of them are and enough of them are interested in um, parenting things that this will still be a good topic for, for people to listen to. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And um, one thing we also have in common, and I think we have this in common with all parents out there, is that parenting isn't always a cakewalk for us. Maybe not in the way we imagined before we started. <laughs> no, and I think um, it's something that you idealize before you're a parent or when your baby is very small and you're like, oh, it's going to be great. My kid is awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm just awesome. Gonna, yeah, I'm just going to be consistent and it'll all fall into place. <laughs> Right. All those things you thought about parents when you were sitting in a restaurant and there was some kid acting up. Yeah. Yeah. You get punished for every time you thought, well, my kid will be better than that. For sure. (laughs) Yeah. Before we dive into it a little bit, tell me a little bit about yourself and about your parenting situation. Well, I have three children. Um, My eldest is probably my most challenging He's 15, and uh, I definitely, he's the one who punished me for every arrogant thought. Um, other than him, like, and it, I don't really, he's hard to summarize, which is what I guess makes him him complicated, is that he is so much his own person and so so difficult to, to pin down in terms of who he is. But then I have uh, my middle child, she's 12, and, and her... She's super sweet and very easy to get along with. Her big issue is just that she's always in her squeaky wheel brother's shadow. <laughs> and uh, and then my youngest is a seven-year-old. Um, and we were talking about like other things that are just like not what you expected out of parenthood. So my youngest uh, is a transgender boy. So was assigned female at birth and and given a female name. And then over the years we have realized that. Uh, that he he just identifies so strongly as a boy, and that is the way we're going to have to raise him. So it's just, yeah, there's lots to parenthood that's totally not what you ever would have predicted. Right, exactly. And and every kid is so different. The things that work with the first kid or two don't work with the follow-up kids. And... Oh, yeah. I feel like it took three kids for me to realize how little my parenting matters. Like <laughs> With your first one, you're like, okay, I'm getting this nailed down. I know how to do this. And then the second one's totally different. And you're like, okay, there's the there's the loud one, and then there's the soft one. And then you have the third one. You're like, oh, it's all random. It's all perfectly random. Right. So. There's so many variations, so many variables in, in people. Mm-hmm. And kids are people that, yeah, it's just yeah. exercise all your muscles. So our commit, Megan and my commitment to you, the listener, is that this is not us whining about our kids <laughs> and complaining about them. And it's our promise to our kids. Um, so this episode is about advanced parenting and how mm-hmm. we've grown as adults by the things that we've learned as we parent our kids and all of that involves. Absolutely. 
All right. It's going to be excellent. I'm so excited. <laughs> Do you usually listen to, I guess, we're grownups now? Um, I have. Like, my listening has been pretty spotty because I'm not really an ideal podcast listener. I think. Well, that's good because um, my publishing has been fairly spotty. I'm not <laughs> an ideal podcaster. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I do try to listen to it like totally anytime I have a minute. I just can't, I can't multitask. So I need to have that time. And what kind of things have been connecting with you through that? Uh, well, I, I really loved the birth control episode. Um, they think like, I really love the confessional stuff. <laughs> it, it felt like, um, like a slumber party. Right. And I feel like our adulthood doesn't have enough opportunities for, for slumber party confessional dynamics. Um, and I also really enjoyed the midlife crisis episode, but that may have been because I was listening to it on a birthday that I no longer celebrate because of midlife crisis issues. <laughs> Accepting getting older is definitely a process, isn't it? Oh yeah. Yeah. Birthdays, <laughs> birthdays are the worst. And they shouldn't be, but. No, in some ways they're awesome. Cause as my dad is fond of saying they're better than the alternative. That's totally true. But yeah. So I'll, I will tell you a little bit about uh, my kids. I have two daughters, one's 11 going on 12 and she's sort of, um, socially, emotionally, the, the easier one, um, sort of medically she's trickier, <laughs> but that's a whole other <laughs> show. Um, but my younger one is seven going on eight and, and she's definitely um, an enigma as far as kids go. I would, I would. She's the trickier one to parent. Um, she, she is is very self-contained and doesn't care what anyone thinks, mm. which is how you. I mean, we tell our kids don't care what anyone thinks, but, but when that, they don't care what you think. <laughs> Right. That's how we actually control them. <laughs> right. Um, it's, it's none of the things that worked with my older daughter and getting her to do stuff worked with my younger daughter. So figuring out what to do with that was difficult enough just at home. And then w when you get them in a public school setting where they also don't care what the teacher thinks and they don't care what their peers think. And their, and their peers and their teachers don't know what to do with that, too, because that isn't, I mean, most kids figure out, most kids can be peer pressured or teacher pressured into doing stuff. Um, and we don't really know as a society what to do with people who mm -hmm. um, don't, don't comply. And really, I mean, she doesn't rebel. She just doesn't give a shit. Yeah, totally. And, and, and it, she's been like that since she was three, like really young. <laughs> This is exactly my 15-year-old, actually. We, um, I already have a story that when he was, he was in grade two, it must have been. So he would have been like seven-ish. And I got called in by the teacher. Uh, and she was saying how like, well, nothing, I can't do anything to get him motivated to do his work. And I have tried everything. But then she's describing her tactics to me. And they were all shame. They were all just tr just trying to socially shame him. She was like, well, I've led class discussions where I would say to the students, like, what would happen if I didn't do my work? And they're all like, well, you would get fired. And he just folds his arms and is like, so fire me then. Right. And so I was like, so that's that's all you've tried is just class discussions to shame him for not working? Because like, yeah, he's unshameable. He doesn't care. Right. Yeah. It, but I just, it made me realize how much we really do use shame against kids. And it made me question, like, just because we can use it to keep kids in line, does that make it right? Like, right. Yeah. Um, I know that my parents um, would occasionally spank us. Mm -hmm. And there have been moments where I'm like, okay, if I was my parents, I would be spanking Paulina right now. Like, she's just, there's nothing I'm doing. I'm down to you physical intimidation. Right. And, and I, we're not into that. We have chosen to not spank. So yeah. for me, that's not an option, but it's really funny what you like. It really forces you to think hard about right. how, well, for starters, how bad do you want the kid to do this thing you're asking them to do? Right. And what, what is the motivation? Like, for any of us in any behavior issue. <laughs> oh um, my gosh, totally. 
are you doing something because everybody is doing it or because there's actually value in it? And how do you communicate that value to a kid who doesn't want to hear it? Right. And then you go, well, maybe there's no value. Right. And then you're giving up and then you're like, oh, maybe it's not worth having this fight. And then you feel like you're weak because everybody else is like, well, you just have to put your foot down. Right. Oh, oh, put my foot down. Right. That was the step I forgot. <laughs> yeah. If only. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he's 15. I, I, I'm guessing it's not actually easier as time goes by and the kid gets smarter and... You know, I actually feel like it is getting easier. Like, um, there was a, there were a lot of fights we had at the beginning that I think were because he, I mean, he had to test things. He had to test what he could get away with. And I did start out trying to put my foot down and trying to be like the, the, the strong parent that everybody, you know, when they say, oh, well, you have to just let him know that you're the parent and he's the child and he just has to fall in line. We spent some years doing that and it was like fast becoming nuclear. And I like had to realize that that wasn't going to work for us. Like, so I think like when I came around and I was like, well, I guess what you need is somebody to be in your corner and to teach you these negotiation skills. And, and then I, a couple of times I had to take on, you know, teachers and daycare workers uh, and really defend that philosophy. And I, so I think where we are at now is that he has a lot more faith in me. Mm. And um, like, so we're closer and there's like a tiny little bit, like a tiny little bit that if I can just connect with him and be like, would you do this for me? Would you do this because it will make it easier for all of us? Then he will. Um Whereas, like, before he couldn't. Like, he, as soon as an authority figure needed him to do a thing, it was like, that cannot be a thing I do. Uh, so, so like, we are, we are a little bit more collaborative now. And he has a little bit of faith in me and a little bit of trust uh, and a, the tiniest ability to, to suspend that rebellion for the sake of getting along because we've had enough of these conversations. Yeah. I mean... So my daughter is in in grade two. So about at the beginning of this curve that you're describing. <laughs> and I feel like I have more success with her if I explicitly say, this is not a fight between you and me. This is mm. a, us figuring out how the whole world can get along. And I'm on your team here. That's exactly it. Like it's totally it's a it's easier now because he knows that I'm on his team and I don't have to go through that explaining so much in order to remind him that we're it's us together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There were a lot of times, like a lot of tantrums, where I had to like sort of physically pull him into my lap and and force hug him and just be like, "I'm on your side. I'm on your side." <laughs> until right. like, we could get through those fights, but yeah, it's hard as a parent. You're representing the world to your kid and yeah. your kid to the world. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it. And I think we sometimes forget to stop playing the world to our kids sometimes and remind the kid that actually our first our first loyalty is to them, not to their teachers and, you know, the police and, <laughs> right. and whatever else is out there, but but that we're trying to also explain the world to them the stuff they can't see. That's right. That's a really good um, reminder, actually, because I think we're so, we're so invested in our kids' ability to get along, and we judge ourselves by mm. our ability to raise kids who can get along. Like, we feel this profound shame as parents when we aren't capable of raising these kids to, to be easy for everybody else. And so sometimes we're, we're suppressing them more for ourselves than for them. Totally. I think um, I've always been uh, someone concerned with pleasing other people. I think most of us, well, oh, yeah. are, except for the kids we're discussing. Here. I'm and such a people pleaser. Totally. And, and I think part of our, we sort of expect that our kids will also feel that. Yeah. And when they don't, um, 
Yeah, it's it's like you're trying to layer your kid with this socially acceptable layer and the kid's like, get off me. <laughs> That's not who I am. Yeah. Right? And it, guess what? I don't care if the world doesn't like me. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. I totally have spent so many times being like, how did I get this kid? Like, because I was like, I was born a little old lady. Like, right. Yeah. 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 I know I have, I'm very like authority compliant uh-huh. I get along a lot better if there are known rules and everybody is following them and they don't get questioned. We just, you know, go along with the rules. And when a kid comes along and doesn't care. Yeah. In some ways, like, I'm learning how to not, to also not care. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? I went to meet with uh, my son's principal and the school resource police officer yesterday. And I was actually saying on Twitter how I spiked my hair extra before this, <laughs> before this meeting. And I was like, I don't know why. And I was thinking about it later. And I was like, I, it totally was, it was a little act of rebellion. It was like, screw you. I'm not going to be the, the compliant matronly, easy to get along with mom. I'm going to go in there with a little bit of rebellion and stand up for my kid. Nice. Um, I never would have done that. Like, like, well, for one thing, I haven't even had hair that I could spike until two or three weeks ago. So they've changed a lot raising this kid. <laughs> I think that's great. If, if, um, I, I don't think we all have to go through the world always doing what we're told. For sure. And if we can learn that from our kids, if we can, if they can free us up a bit and if we can help them round off some of their edges a bit i'm pretty certain i've actually read headlines or studies that said that parents are much more shaped by their children than the other way around that's interesting yeah i wish i could remember uh what the actual study was i'll have to look it up for you that is that i mean yeah that's cool i mean but then how do we find the balance between raising these awesome people and not like crushing them, but also getting them to cooperate with the way the world works. Cause we also do want to raise functioning adults. We owe it to society to raise That's right. responsible, you know, non crime committing mm-hmm. functioning people. Yeah. And I, does it have to do maybe with just like giving them the right direction, right? Like, Maybe this is this is pretty airy fairy, but but like the hope is that even if your child is fundamentally rebellious, can you direct it towards, say, innovation and entrepreneurship instead of you know like there's lots of room to forge your own path, um, if you go into the right fields where where being a bit of a boat rocker is more valued and. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably also, I mean, this reinforces the notion of not using shame or violence to get them to comply because all that does is teach them that that's how you get people to comply with you. And then they probably, I mean, then that's their survival skill. That's right. Yeah. Then that's their go-to tactics. Yeah. That's totally a, I, uh, Ethan was my first and, um, and I was I was 21 when I had him, so I definitely I I had to resort to spanking sometimes because I just was like I'm out of options and I don't know what to do. But philosophically, like I didn't agree with it. And we have these conversations where he's like, "Well, you spanked me, but you didn't spank any of your other kids." And mm-hmm. I have to, I have to be like, "Well, I wish I could go back and parent you as who I am now." Uh, and but also, I didn't have maybe as many options with you it's yeah right yeah I mean we do the best we have with what we have and um and I think telling our kids that our minds have changed about stuff like that is important for them seeing that you can change as a human being Mm -hmm. or yeah you can just change your mind about what's okay and it's not okay yeah, I think that's been a big part of um, a big part of my ability to be on his team is uh, that he knows that if I've made a mistake, I'll apologize for it, or if I've mm-hmm. changed changed my mind about my tactics, I will reverse my position and be clear about that. 
Yeah, and that um, admitting that you're wrong in the past, or I'm not, I'm not casting judgment on spanking. <laughs> no, because <laughs> I have these things too. You know, things I used to do that I don't do anymore. Um, but but doing that without like dramatics, just going, oh yeah, actually I was wrong. You mm-hmm. know, I apologize, but not like fighting it. Mm-hmm. Um, when you recognize, when I recognize that I'm wrong, if I can, the less I fight it, I think the better message it sends to your kids about how easily they can change themselves too. Right. Was it hard to get to that point though? Because I think, you know, with kids who are really, who challenge you a lot, there's this fear of not having enough control with them or not looking authoritative enough. Like if they undermine me on this, will they undermine me on everything? Oh, like it totally it's so hard to admit to being wrong because it's like, this is going to be used against me so and, hard. And with my first daughter, um, she was, authority was very effective with her. Mm-hmm. I could say, this is the way it is. And if you don't comply, there will be consequences. And you never even had to define what the consequences would be. She would just, she would just comply. And... And, and so figuring out first that the problem wasn't with Paulina, my second kid in the, in her lack of compliance, it was in me using the same authority tactics with her. Like it was my refusal to try other things that was causing my problems, (laughs) not my child's personality. Yeah. Um, and once, I don't even know that I have a name yet for the best way to parent Paulina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of, I, like, I don't even know what I do that works with her yet. Hmm. I try to think of it as, as being collaborative. Like, and I, mm. I put as much of it as I can on Ethan as possible. Like that was sort of my first tactic was like, and I think maybe I got this from the book, Raising Your Spirited Children, which I only got like two or three chapters in before I was like, well, this is depressing. <laughs> like, this is going to be my life. <laughs> but, but I did, what I did get out of it, I think, was this, uh, this ability to, to put solving the issues on the child's. Uh, And in a cooperative way, like to say, okay, so you were really invested in the idea that I shouldn't help you put your jacket on, but I really want us to get there on time. So can you think of something that allows us both to get what we want? The problem is, of course, that when you're invested in getting somewhere on time, who can slow things down to let a five-year-old negotiate? But, But every time we did that, you know, like it's... It helped, well, it helped put us on the same team and it helped build his problem-solving ability so that he didn't have to try to get what he wanted through pure tantrums and badgering. He learned that that negotiating and that considering other people's wants in his solutions was a good tactic. So, Yeah, that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, I know with Paulina explaining to her that she can be whoever she wants. She can do whatever she wants. She doesn't have to care about anybody else's feelings, but that when she looked at the world and wondered why things were difficult for her and maybe not for other people, that was part of the reason why. (laughs) Yeah. Tough if you want, but know that the world is going to be tough back and that's not you causing the toughness, but but it's part of the deal. Right. Yeah. Nobody owes you. Nobody owes anybody else compliance, including you, but also including other people to you. <laughs> right. But also there is a payoff if you want to try that tactic. Right. <laughs> and yeah. I guess when when you uh, decide that instead you're just going to yell at your kid or, or your student if you're a teacher or whatever, your employee if you're an employer, if you decide that, you know, authority and or um, violence is how you're going to deal with that, you're just glossing over all that information that might actually be helpful to them. Right. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like how to cope with the world and how to 
how to negotiate good solutions. Like authority is really, it's the weakest tool. Yeah. It certainly um, stands up the least to questioning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but people who, <laughs> the problem with it is for the people who it works with, it works so well. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, my other kids, uh, it, it's interesting that you had your, your easy kid first. Yeah. Because I sort of went the other way that I had this kid where like I had to raise my voice to ever be heard and I had to be stern to ever get anywhere. And, and then I had this like really mellow kid and I would start off raising my voice and she would just crumble. Like, I, yeah. So, I mean, I had to learn to fix that right fast, but yeah. Uh, yeah. And it, I mean, it was, I tell Ethan that, you know, he broke me in and he made me a better parent for the other kids, you know, cause I, I've never had to use authority with them because he had sort of already broken me of that. Right. That before I, do you think, um, how your parents raised you affected in a good way or a bad way? What are the, what are the things they did that you draw on? Um, I guess, You know, that, that is an interesting question because, like, I, I feel like I spent a lot of my childhood being, um, well, being very, very conscious and collaborative and, and also trying to take care of a lot of the people around me. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've mostly credited that with my parenting, um, that I, like, I, I never felt like there was a clear demarcation between my childhood and my adult parenting because it just kind of, because my childhood was very much about taking care of people around me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other side of that is that my mom really did value uh, intelligent dis- discussions and, and being able to think for yourself. And so I guess like I had a huge amount of just like one-on-one conversation and, and reasoning everything through and problem solving everything. And, and so my mom definitely did kind of build those skills in me of, uh, of putting things on children of, and of, of letting them build their problem solving skills and their, their independent thinking skills. So, that's probably helped me be more equipped to accept Ethan's independence and his, his fierce need to take on authority because even though I didn't have that inclination in myself, it had been built up there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. I, I remember there's two things I remember about my parents' parenting styles that really stick out. And one was when they would tell me they were disappointed in me. And I don't remember that as a good thing. I always feel very, like when I think back to the times they told me they were disappointed in me, I felt like I wasn't heard or understood. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working really hard to not be disappointed in my kids. Hmm. It's funny because like a lot of people feel like that's the, like that's the magic button in parenting, Right. right? Well, it is a magic button, but I don't think it's a, I mean, it shuts down the conversation. It does, yeah, yeah, and it um, it's it's purely just a judgment. You're either good enough or you're disappointing, and and there's no room for for sorting out why you did what you did or or how you could do better. Right. It it says I have this standard, and it's non-negotiable. And whatever you, whatever reasons you had for doing what you did, um, they don't fit within my model of good enough. Mm-hmm. And I'm done discussing it, <laughs> you know, and yeah. for me, so for me, that was always like, okay, especially if I didn't, if, if I personally wasn't disappointed in my behavior or, or the results of it, I'd oh, be like, sure. oh, well, I like, okay, then we have a different worldview here, except when you're 17, you don't know how to say that. <laughs> but, um, but now I can look back and go, oh, okay, well, right. Maybe if we'd talked it out. But yeah. And then the other um, uh, thing I remember about how I was parented was the, yeah, the, the reasoning it out conversations, talking about the complexities of life. 
um, and, and them encouraging me to think for myself. And, and obviously that is a lot better memory of, <laughs> of how they brought me up that I think, I think kids are equipped to do that earlier than we give them credit for a lot of the time. Absolutely. They are like it, when I, when I started doing that, like saying to Ethan, okay, well you want this and I want this. And is there a way we can both get what we want? He surprised me over and over. Like he would come up with solutions, like brilliant solutions that I never would have thought of. Yeah. And it, like it, it was not only good for him to build his confidence and his ability to negotiate, but it was really good for me to like to build my confidence and his ability to manage the world. Sure. Yeah, I can definitely see that. A short break to talk about our sponsor. Campaign Monitor makes it easy for you to create, send, and optimize your email marketing campaigns. Design beautiful emails in minutes with their easy-to-use template builder. Send more relevant emails by displaying content that caters to your individual subscribers. And best of all, your emails will look great on any device. It doesn't get easier than this. Thanks to Campaign Monitor for supporting good stuff. And I guess we're grown-ups now. We were having um, school issues with Paulina sort of in November-ish. Um, she was getting into a lot of uh, conflict with peers and with her teachers in the classroom where something would set her off and she'd just um, get super angry and sometimes she would cry during class and it was very just dis- like disruptive and... And, her, and she was doing it with her friends and with her teacher who she likes. And so um, her teacher, I'll give a lot of credit to, she's trying really hard. Um, <laughs> Mrs. Cohen, you're the best. <laughs> um, and she's very unlike Paulina. And she doesn't, I don't think she's dealt with a lot of kids as sort of strong willed as Paulina is. Um, but she, but they like each other. So they're trying really hard to get along. And she's had her for two years. She had her in grade one in a split one, two class. And now she has her again in grade two. So they've had this time to develop this working relationship. And in grade two, she started acting out in class like this. And, uh, and it was getting, it was, I mean, it was really troubling. Paulina was not enjoying going to school and, and I was really worried. I'm like, oh, we're going to have to like move her schools or try Montessori or <laughs> homeschool her. And I don't have time or energy for this. It's like, ah, what's going on? So we had a couple meetings with the teachers. And there was occasionally times when, you know, people had been pushed or punched. And so you'd have these meetings with other parents, too. It's like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. And... And you're feeling judgment and you're feeling worried for your kid and you're trying to keep your kid from feeling that judgment on them and you're trying to just make it better. And so finally one day I said to her, like, why, what did you think would happen when you pushed your friend in the hallway? And she's like, I don't know. And I said, well, did you think you would get your way? Like, did you think you were going to change your friend's mind about something? No. Like, were you, and then suddenly it occurred to me that I kind of act out at home too. And sometimes my kids see it, you know, I'll go to my husband and rant about somebody at work and I believe in ranting. I think ranting is like, (laughs) so so, therapeutic, so therapeutic. And it's just, it's just venting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're venting. You just wanted an outlet for your frustration. And she's like, yep, that's all. I'm like, (laughs) oh, you're just like me. Right. Can we we just direct it so it's less physical maybe? Well, or save it. Like, I'm not into repressing emotion, but like just defer it to after school. Mm -hmm. So we set up the system where every day after school, she comes into my office and she sits in my work chair. I have to go get another chair. And we have a meeting. And it's very official. It's like, we have a meeting. And she thinks, oh, oh business-like. It's so cute. And it's her venting meeting. And it, every day she comes home from school. And if something went badly, she'll tell me about her bad day. Mm-hmm. And and I'm like, well, did you cry? Or, you know, did you you know, yell at somebody. No, I saved it for the venting meeting. 
And it's been amazing. I mean, I don't know that it's the only thing that's gotten better, but, but her problems at school have gone away. Cause I think she knows that there's a time and a place that's fantastic and act out. And that it's with me and it's not with her friends or her teacher. It's like separate from school. And she's just, ha- and most of the time now she doesn't even have anything to vent about at the end of the day. Hmm. So yeah, I mean, that's, been a huge difference for us and she actually the other day she told me she likes school which I didn't think she was ever going to say that ever again in her entire life so so she's in grade two yeah <laughs> yeah that was yeah we I was getting calls from the teacher in at the end of kindergarten she was like I'm so worried because he hates school already and yeah. I was like yeah that's telling her that she it was okay if she hated school was a big step for us too for sure it's totally fine to hate it. Totally. But there it's are kind a lot of, of disgusting th- when you think about it. <laughs> I would hate it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Have you met children? They're awful. <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, but it's it's also a really valuable lesson to be like, well, sometimes a thing that you don't like is worthwhile. I mean, we're talking about very long term for kids. Oh, totally. I mean, there's lots of things that she doesn't like that she has to do. And we're and to let her know that adults are like that too, that there's lots of things that we have to do that we don't like. And yeah. Yeah. Welcome to life, kid. <laughs> yeah, doesn't that suck? <laughs> oh man. It would be nice if they could have the magic and the wonder a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. I guess some kids don't need that. Well, or they're just, yeah. Or they I mean, I, I think even he's not equipped. He's, he's not, he's not born with wonder. He's, <laughs> he's born with this fierce and incisive need to dig through the wise. Yeah. So, um, what do you think his greatest strengths are? I mean, it's, it's easy to frame these things as, as problems, but what do you think his strengths in the world are? Well, one of his greatest strengths and greatest problems, I think, is that he's a little too smart for his own good. Mm-hmm. And and a little smarter than a lot of the adults around him. So, of course, he has no respect for anybody who can't outthink him. Yeah. And it, like... That's a terrible thing to like to be sitting in a parent teacher interview and biting your tongue over when it's like, I yes, I understand that he doesn't respect you. I'm having trouble with that myself, actually. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, and we we saw a counselor uh, for a couple of years just to just to work on like the the social skills and the negotiation skills and problem solving. And one of the things she said to me, which has been a tremendous comfort for I come back to it over and over. And she, she brought up the Milgram experiment on obedience to authority figures. And she was like, your kid would never do that. Like you're, if an authority figure said you shock these people or you hurt these people, he would, he would never just fall in line and just do it. Yeah. I know. I, I think about that a lot with Paulina too. And I think, when I started to stop trying to like persuade her into doing things was when I thought, I actually wonder if, you know, I think, well, she thinks for herself and would never be convinced into doing something she doesn't want to do. But here I am constantly at her convincing her to do things she doesn't want to do. I actually wonder if I'm setting her up for, thinking that that's how the world works, that the world is a series of people convincing you to do things and that it's natural and good for you to end up doing things that just somebody else wants you to do. Right. I'm like, maybe it's almost more dangerous. It's not the naturally compliant kids that'll get us into trouble. It's the kids who we've made them turn off their internal fight mechanism right you know we've crushed their little spirit <laughs> and they don't use that muscle anymore because we've told them don't use that muscle right but I, yeah so I we do. need to not kill that in our kids is what i'm trying to say is that we need them to keep that 
I definitely agree. And that was too, like when we were going to counseling at the time and I was realizing that, that he was like, and is uh, like smart, mm-hmm. too smart. And so I spent some time like reading up on, on uh, all the classic troubled geniuses. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm not sure that he's like at a genius level, but he's definitely like very clever. And, and so I just, I wanted to see, you know, with the Mozarts and the, and the Edisons and the Teslas, like what, what were the factors that, that made the difference for them to actually like go on and pursue something that they believed in and make something of their, their genius rather than spending their life burning themselves out on fights with authority. And it, I think, the classic thing was it always came down to having a parent who, who believed in them and fought for them and fostered their abilities it, and who, who wasn't interested in enforcing conformity on them. Wow. Um, like I, I've spent a lot of time reading a lot of biographies and I was like, yeah, there's the supportive parent. Oh, there's the supportive parent. Like it's a, such a common thread for the, the troubled geniuses. Huh. That is interesting. And I imagine it doesn't matter whether your kid ends up being a genius and changing the world, but like having a supportive parent probably affects how happy they are, how satisfied they are with the outcome of their life. Right. Yeah. Like I, I don't need him to go on to become Tesla, but, but you know, within the scope of his own abilities, I want him to be able to to have that confidence to pursue it, even if it's not sanctioned by society, to know that it's sanctioned by himself and his family who does believe in him. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, when you're dealing with teachers uh, or, you know, peers, parents or things like that, um, what are some of the things you hear yourself saying or other adults saying that are either particularly effective or not effective when when there's the conflict situations involving your kid? Uh, I'm not sure I'm understanding the question. (laughs) It was a terrible question. (laughs) In terms of effective versus not effective. Um, So, we talked about like the whole uh, people using shame to try to resolve a situation where there's conflict. Are there other things that you've had a parent say to you where you're like, that is like the least helpful thing you could say right now? Mostly we've just had like, we've had a lot of people attempting to stigmatize him. Like Mm -hmm. as like if they could just, if they could just convince us that there was a thing that was really, really wrong with him. I had a, a daycare worker who like like we had it out on the phone and and she started out like super sweet and was like oh we're just so worried and totally concerned trolling and and I kept just calling her on on her assumptions and challenging her on things she was like he has no friends and I would like list off his friends and she was like well those are older boys they don't really count and I was like <laughs> what and and so by the end of it she was so frustrated and she was like he's not normal Megan he's not normal and that was all she had and right. I, but like I understand, like, he's frustrating. Yeah. I, I understand that, that there's a desire to be able to put your finger on something and be like, because there's a thing wrong with him is why I'm so frustrated with him. Not because I'm lacking in patience or lacking in the skills or abilities to deal with him. Right. You know, and it, I, I feel, too, like, when I'm talking to teachers, I'm like, I know he's one of 30. I know that you mm-hmm. have so many things to deal with. And I, I'm so sorry that I'm putting the the higher requirements kid on you and I I don't expect them to spend all of their time on him but but I do expect them to be able to deal with us professionally and and compassionately and to not try to like convince us that like he's he's clearly not a sociopath I've seen him express so much empathy like so there's a couple things in there I want to unpack. One is the whole worry about them being a sociopath. I'll come back to that in a second because totally it's the big one. <laughs> and the yeah. other one is, is there seems like there's, I don't know if it's um, a certain class of people or just a certain class of situation where their first impulse is to do exactly the wrong thing. Like if the thing your kid could benefit most from would be separating them and giving them a quiet spot to go sit and think for 15 minutes 
then their first impulse is no, uh, bring them in and talk at them and like, Oh yeah. Their friends and other parents and like, shame talk. them and yell at them. And yeah. Or just make them talk to you about things when really the whole problem would go away with 15 minutes of quiet time. Yeah. Or the best thing to do would be to pretend something isn't happening, but no, th- this person or this situation, it ends up all the attention in the world is brought on you know, this particular behavior. And from there, it just escalates when it's, when it could have been nipped in the bud or just sort of dealt with differently in a non-confrontational way. It it usually seems like the choice is made to confront instead of the choice is made to let it dissipate. Right. Well, I I think we have this society that really values, um, really compliant kids and that really believes that the way to get compliant kids is to abuse the ones that aren't. Mm -hmm. And it like, that was one of the reasons we left, you know, the daycare in question where I got into the phone fight with the director. Um, And, and that was a huge improvement in my relationship with Ethan that when he saw that I was willing to like walk away from toxic situations for him. But but yeah, like, and it, they kept saying, well, he's a problem and he's caused this problem and that problem. And I, I would say, so we're finding that it works a lot better to talk calmly and collaboratively. And, and then, but they, they were so worked up about what a problem child he was that at the tiniest uh, infraction, they would come running in to like put down any, any, notion that he was gonna yeah gonna step out of line and and they stigmatized him so hard and so fast and so of course he was he was playing to that expectation like it just you know it became it became really this terrible escalating thing and I was like well you keep telling me that you need a behavior management plan and I keep telling you what's working for us so pretty sure you're not going to stick to any behavior management plan because you don't listen to anything I say about him like they're so convinced here's another thing to unpack is that they're so convinced that you're defensive and in denial that they can't listen to anything you say as a parent yeah yeah I know Um, when you tell them that well the long game works but they have no interest in the long game. They want immediate compliance and immediate. Yeah. 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 And yeah, if you say, no, I don't believe that my child has this disorder or that disorder, they're like, mm, denial. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. Teachers have hard jobs. Uh, there was a recent article about a month ago. I'll see if I can dig it up for the links that talked about um, the tough situation teachers in teachers are in where um, they're trying to deal with um, a multi-dimensional problem in their classroom or outside the classroom, but, um, and, and they have to talk with one parent at a time and they can only talk about that parent's kid with that parent. And they can't explain to other parents what's going on with, with other kids. Do you know what I mean? I so, do. And, and I feel them for that because it's not like our kids and their challenging behavior exists in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, they really are affecting other kids. I actually walked into something like that last week when I went to pick up my daughter. And uh, and she was late coming out of the classroom. And then when I like went to, up to the classroom to see what was going on, it was her and another girl and, and the teacher... She came out and she, like, she was trying to make these oblique re- remarks yeah. to let me know that it was the other girl and not mine. <laughs> but but to, totally, it was, you know, and I happened to know the other girl, so I was like, I know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, no, we've had girl. some of those too. It's like, we're making the kids apologize to each other, but really, it's the other kid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. So it's we so- all, I, yeah, I think every parent goes through that. It's, I mean, unless you have some perfect only child who, yeah, yeah, murders you in their sleep when you're in your sleep when you're twenty when they're twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So speaking of things that um, you alluded to is you know is your kid a psychopath? Do they have any empathy for humanity at all? I mean. In my worst moments, I've definitely worried about that with Paulina. 
Um, I, I still do sometimes, even though I've reasoned it out and I know. Yeah. But I, I still can be talked into believing it sometimes. Well, and I think the problem is, is that you don't ever know, you know, the world continues and is constantly changing. And, and um, while we know that our kids are, are good people and, and I don't think either of our kids is, is a psychopath. Um, like there are lots of triggers out there. Yeah. And the, I mean, I think the other thing too is, if you follow the news at all, mm-hmm. and and anytime there is like a, a shooting or a, a killing spree, and the parents, like I think the parent part of it is always to me the most tragic because these people have not seen it coming. They have to deal with feeling like they raised a monster. They're not allowed to mourn their children. Mm-hmm. Like their child is stigmatized. They're stigmatized. Like um, I have a, a friend actually. I should send you this for the links maybe she wrote a really beautiful open letter to Susan Bibo after Michael Zahaf Bibo's shooting in Ottawa this mm-hmm. fall and she like so beautiful like she just was saying you know like that you have the right to grieve or you have the right to not grieve if that's how you're feeling and um, I think that's one of the really complicated things about parenting these children is that uh, you know, we're talking fairly positively tonight, today about the things that really work for us. But there are days, you know, when you're like, I'm not feeling terribly bonded with you, child. I'm yeah. not, it's not working for me. Or, I, you know, I'm looking forward with a little too much zeal for the day that you move out. <laughs> um, th- those things happen. And I, I can easily imagine how, like, if we were managing things less well, or or maybe because there might be other factors yes. that we can't control that we will end up not not on good terms with Ethan when he's an adult. And I, so I, there is just coming back to that, like that right to grieve, but also that right to not grieve and that right to, to not relate well to your children or to not like who your child is. Yeah. Those, those things are very difficult for parents to talk about. And, and so, so hard to feel, let alone to admit to. Totally. Um, and I, but, but I think, uh, we don't do ourselves any favors if we don't think that through, if we don't come to an acceptance of sometimes my kid isn't who I hope they would be, or isn't who I would choose to be, but they are their own human being. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't like it. If you don't admit to that, you're probably setting yourself up for worse problems than just not liking your kid. <laughs> yes. But, yeah. Yeah. Those long-term, like difficult Thanksgiving dinners exactly. <laughs> forever. Or lack of them, like, yeah. like becoming sort of disconnected from your kid. I, I don't know. I guess sometimes it's better than, than being connected with them, but it, it, I would rather. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like it when Paulina hurts another kid's feelings. It like, I mean, on the, on the sort of innocent grade two side of, of things, like I have really, really mixed feelings when she displays her independence and hurts another kid's feelings. Like that, right. that's not cool. And, and she needs to learn to <laughs> respect other people's, well, to know that other people have feelings and to give them some respect for that in the same way that she expects it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I have I have a kind of a shameful story. Uh, why don't I air it? Um, <laughs> Nobody's listening. <laughs> but it was uh, when you were talking about your parents saying that they were disappointed in you, and I was thinking about that parenting by guilt, which I've tried really hard not to do. Uh, but so then Ethan and I were having some fight. Uh, before Christmas and it was one of those like days long fight where every time we came back we were like right back at each other in this conversation and he he turned to me and he said you're always guilting me and I I felt like I don't deliberately guilt him uh but I was like does it occur to you that you might be feeling guilty not because of anything I've done but because you're being a shitty human being (laughs) but yeah like this is now he's 15 like I have to be willing to I didn't have to say it that way (laughs) no (laughs) that's awesome but 
but it's one of those things where it's like you need to maybe question whether you are a good person here and I don't want to abuse you into being a good person but I do think that you need to examine these things at some point right and and the two of you being assholes isn't mutually exclusive <laughs> like it's not like one person is innocent and the other person is always guilty like actually multiple people could be jerks at the same time when yeah. and whether that's your parent child relationship or in peer relationships like actually maybe everybody's being a dick here yeah for sure and saying that and putting that out there so it's not always this you know victim complex that's getting played (laughs) which is so central to my relationship with that kid (laughs) (laughs) you know what mom's not perfect either (laughs) i actually find i say that more and maybe it's because she's older but with my first kid is like yeah, I'm, I didn't handle that stellarly or I'm being unreasonable, but you're just going to have to deal with it kind of stuff. Mm, Maybe I think she's more, she is more often the victim of my nastiness and, and uh, I have to apologize for her more often. Mm, that's totally, yeah, I do definitely feel like my, my easy kid uh, takes the brunt of my parenting expectations, right? Yeah. Like when they get into a fight, I'm totally like, why are you provoking this? <laughs> Instead of putting the blame where it really belongs, which would be a difficult place to put it and would incite a bigger fight. Right, right. It's like at work where the competent person is always the one getting all the work put on them because they're the one who can actually <laughs> deliver. Right. The same thing to our good kids, our good kids. Yeah. Air quotes, heavy air quotes around it. Um, <laughs> the easy, easy kids. Our the... conventionally behaving kids. Yeah. <laughs> because because we know we can and we need them in some respects. Like, I can't deal with multiple kids having crisis at the same time. Oh, Lord, so, no. <laughs> yeah, that's hard on all the poor, the poor behaving kids. Yeah. Do you have any um, strategies you have for like when you're going through a crisis for keeping your head above water for keeping it all together? Um, Besides the blanket forts. <laughs> the blanket fort worked so well. That's awesome. I'll it put was... a link to the picture in the show notes. It's great. Well, I, can I talk about the blanket fort a little yeah. bit? It's totally like, cause that was actually mostly, it was mostly about my coping. So totally. we've been, we've been going through, like the worst two weeks, like dealing with various bureaucracies, um, counselors who are concerned about whether Ethan could potentially be violent and, and uh, then the school board and the, the principal and I don't know. So I've had so many meetings and so many phone calls and just trying to like wade my way through all of this bureaucracy. And, uh, and then yesterday was like the, sort of the culmination of things with this meeting with the the school resource officer and the principal, the one that I spiked my hair for. And I, I came home and I was so worn out, but, but there was so much that had come out of it, so much new information that I was like, okay, I've been trying to protect the kids from some of this, from knowing like the depths of what's going on, but I can't justify doing that anymore because they for sure have seen how stressed I am dealing with the system. And, and, they also for sure know I'm keeping secrets about the depths of it and are probably wondering how bad it is. So I messaged my husband and I said, well, I think we need to have a family meeting tonight, which is always like, they hate it and I hate it. So it's like, but I need a blanket fort. So let's do this. You bring home burgers. I'm going to build a blanket fort and we're going to have a family meeting over a supper that I don't have to work on in this blanket fort. It worked so well. Like the younger kids were thrilled right. that we were having this special supper in a blanket fort. And the 15 year old even just was, he normally he like wolfs down his food and takes off, but he just, he lounged on the floor and he chatted with us and, and everybody was so relaxed. I was like, well, this is what we're dealing with. And this is what has to come out of it. And some of, some of it was difficult stuff that I thought was going to be, terrible but instead you know we're all in our fort and it was us against the world and it it worked like like Ethan and Rachel usually they fight a lot and they um they're not on each other's side very often but there was you know things where I was like well Rachel I think you're gonna have to make this sacrifice and Ethan was like no she doesn't need to no it's totally fine and just jumping in for her and 
lots of lovely stuff. I feel like the blanket fort is a really good tactic. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, the metaphor of the like clubhouse for us. Is yeah. Powerful. Yeah. Make it memorable for them. I, totally. And and it but it also just it took us out of the seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. Like it it gave us something lighter to to dispel some of the heaviness of the conversation. So Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, I'm a massive introvert. And so mostly my coping skills are, excuse me, I'm running away to my room. Mm -hmm. But, you know, that helps. It gives us all space before we have to take up these conversations. Um, I've had to have negotiations with my husband about how we deal with uh, tough family conversations. Like when I'm because he, he definitely wants to like jump in and back me up and I totally appreciate that. But a lot of the ways that he jumps in usually seems to escalate things. Like when, when I'm talking to Ethan and I'm starting to get upset if he jumps in and he's like, listen to your mother, like right there, it's just right. going to go south, right? So no, no, don't listen to me. I mean, we listen to me, but, <laughs> but don't listen to the yelling. <laughs> yes. So so what we we've had to have, have this conversation where I was like, so two people involved in the argument should mean more opportunities to de-escalate, not more voices escalating things. Right. So he knows that if I'm handling a tough conversation, he's allowed to come in and like put his hand on my back or hold my hand or anything to remind me to simmer down. But he's not allowed to throw his voice in because that'll just bring the level of the volume up. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you think the worst thing about being a grown-up is? Oh, that bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's totally it's not just from this week, but this week has been bad with with trying to talk to like various agencies and not even really knowing how to navigate like well, who's talking to whom and who is allowed to share what information and who do I talk to if I have a problem with this. But also like I don't know, anytime you have to deal with banking papers or lawyers or getting your passport or why is all of this stuff that we have to deal with as grownups? It's the worst. I hate it. I agree. Like it's all, it's all set up to be, to exclude anyone who's not an expert in how that particular bureaucracy works. Isn't that true? Like, I think there must be a whole segment of society that can't deal with, yeah, paperwork or finding their health card or whatever that, just can't do a whole bunch of stuff because right oh well when you consider like even if um if english wasn't your first language or yeah yeah so or because of no fault of your own you didn't learn how to read as a kid and your english your reading skills are not great like Mm -hmm. oh yeah so true uh what do you what's the best thing about being a grown-up Probably it's like the degree of control you have over your life, like to to not have to, like we were talking about how kids kids are expected to like instantly comply and instantly fall in line and and something I've really noticed with my son is that the way people talk to him, they would never talk to an adult, and the things he's expected to tolerate we would never tolerate as adults. Mm-hmm. And it's really made it clear to me, like how much more control we have, how much more respect we can command. Um, and I think it's, it's just, it's really, that's the best thing about being a grown up is, is having that control over your life and that ability to look clearly at your circumstances and decide what you will and won't tolerate and what you will and won't have in your life. That's a really good way of putting it. Something I've noticed sort of as I've started to look more my age um, is just the the fewer number of hoops you have to jump through to get people's just general, not respect in the sense of, oh, like, you know, that they respect you, but, but that there's your age becomes your calling card and it opens doors for you that... That's you right. You don't have to work to open otherwise. It's some social capital. Yeah. Some, yeah. The ability to be treated like a human. Yeah. That, that's, that's brilliant. So good. All right. Uh, where can people find you on the internet? 
Uh, I'm on Twitter periodically. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I'm Mick on Twitter, which is a portmanteau of all the last names in our household. We are Cheesebro McDonald Jensen's. So. Nice. And I blog periodically at MeganCheesebro.com. That's C-H-E-E-S-B-R-O-U-G-H. Awesome. I'll put a link in the notes. Yeah. Which, and actually, interestingly, blog mostly about uh, about difficult parenting <laughs> because it's what I'm trying to write a fiction novel about. Oh, nice. Excellent. And as soon as your book comes out, we will definitely link to it. <laughs> I will, yeah, I'll have you on again to talk about the challenges of writing a book. Give me a couple of years. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for being on the show. This has been great. And I know people are going to love it. Oh, this has been such a pleasure. Thanks, Carrie. That's the show. As always, links for today's reference topics are at goodstuff.fm slash grownups slash 14. This podcast is always free to listen to or subscribe to, and subscribing means your iTunes downloads each new episode as soon as it comes out, and you can listen whenever you want. If you're in LA, don't forget to check out the Good Stuff meetup happening Tuesday, February 17th. Thanks again to Campaign Monitor for sponsoring Good Stuff and I guess we're grownups now. If you have a business that would be interested in advertising on I Guess We're Grownups Now, please contact me using the Get In Touch link at goodstuff.fm slash grownups. If you have questions or feedback, I'm on Twitter at grownups underscore FM. Thanks for listening. Talk soon.